Hello, friends, and welcome back to Pierre Pressure Podcast. I'm your host, Pierre Dugayon. This is a show where I talk to musicians and gently peer pressure them into talking about politics. On this episode of Pierre Pressure, I'm very happy to be talking to Kurt Wagner. He's the founder and singer-songwriter behind the band Lamb Chop, which started in the early 90s and continues to perform and record to this day. Lamb Chop made some of the most gorgeously orchestrated indie pop you'll ever hear. Their style runs the gamut from quiet, moody, introspective ballads to full-on disco and soul bangers to everything in between. All of it is wrapped around Kurt Wagner's complex and exquisite lyrics. Kurt Wagner lives in Nashville with his wife, Mary Mancini, who ran a revered record store in Nashville called Lucy's before becoming the chair of the Tennessee Democratic Party. She currently hosts her own podcast about Lucy's record store. I had a great conversation with Kurt Wagner about avoiding the obvious in art and music, the trap of using politics as a promotional tool, and our mutual love of Vic Chestnut, among other things. For those who may not know about Vic Chestnut, he was a highly influential and revered singer-songwriter from Athens, Georgia, who was paralyzed from the neck down in a car accident as a teenager, yet went on to lead a successful career as a singer-songwriter. Kurt Wagner was a friend of Vic's, and Lamb Chop backed him for his 1998 album, The Salesman and Bernadette. I had the good fortune of getting to back up Vic Chestnut as well. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2009. Kurt has an amazing body of work with his band Lamb Chop, his solo electronica project Hecta, and the excellent country project titled Invariable Heartache. Lamb Chop's newest album, released in September, is called The Bible. If you like what you hear, please tell somebody else about Peer Pressure. Pressure. Please like, subscribe, share it, go on the platforms and talk about it. It helps me out. If you're listening to this in February of 2023, I have shows coming up with my bands Body Kite and Bad Reputation in New York and in Canada. Please check out my website, pierredegayon.com, for all that information. And now, enjoy my conversation with Kurt Wagner from Lem Chop. To whom can I speak today? Brothers, they are evil And the old friends of today They have become unlovable To whom can I speak today? The gentleness has perished And the violent man has come down on everyone My um, wife's family and my family are originally from New York. They're both from Brooklyn, but... Um, she grew up on Long Island, and um, then she moved to Nashville, and then we got married. Well, let me just start by saying thank you so much for doing this. Um, and I, awesome. I know I, I've sort of read the story awesome. of how your wife uh, had a record store in Nashville, Lucy's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were yeah. concerts there, and people hung out there, <laughs> and people congregated there. It was like a... At that time in Nashville, there weren't any um, all-ages venues, and uh, she originally just wanted it to be a record store, and then she partnered up with some folks, and then they made it into a all-ages uh, venue, and uh, that ended up being a place where a lot of uh, kids would go see music live, which they weren't able to do otherwise, and um, it kind of grew from that, and uh, she's even doing a, a, a podcast um, about that at this at this time she's 
using that as a, a sort of a, um, a, a a way of starting um, to connect what these kids were and what they became and um, and the interesting um, lives and how that experience affected that. Um, it's pretty interesting. It, it um, she's getting into the second season now, but I think she's going to start to uh, drift into um, other kind of areas related to that, uh, their experiences, et cetera. So, Great. And I think it's called Lu- Lucy's Record Shop. Okay, cool. Podcast, I think. And so did you meet yeah. when you played there? Were you playing there at the time, or how did that um, Yeah. Um, Nashville um, wasn't the biggest scene um, around, so once someone came to town and was doing stuff, yeah, well, we would meet, and I certainly played there a lot um, during that period of time that you did it. So was that um, at that point? Did you have lamb chop? At that time, I think we were a lamb chop. You were lamb chop. Um, even then, yeah, yeah. And lamb chop's been by the time she started the store. It seems to have been like kind of your your vision, primarily from the beginning. Are there other people yeah. who were there with you starting it out? It started as just a group of people that were getting together and just making music for fun and um, and entertainment and. But basically, without any sort of, uh, we wanted to make records because it was possible to do that in Nashville. And um, but we really weren't concerned with um, anything other than just kind of gathering uh, once a week, like you would with your friends and stuff, and have a poker party or whatever. Uh, and it sort of just grew out of that. Um, and oddly enough, people seemed to like it, <laughs> and it, it just sort of took on its own life. And uh, I just sort of followed, followed my nose. You know, where where's this going? Um, prior to that, I, I was a painter, so it was just a, another form of art. Yeah. yeah, there comes a booming sound. It used to come from underground. That band has such a unique uh, color of expression. It's really quiet. You really have to come to it. You really have to listen. But yet, you were sort of, you know, kind of sitting in two worlds. I think you were sitting in kind of the Americana slash country world and then the indie kind of punk world. But it, doesn't really fit in either but it was sort of embraced by both of those worlds i feel like yes initially yeah i think uh we um particularly at that time americana wasn't really even a thing yet and um because of um basically our geographic location and also the fact that we were focused on um sort of trying to present ourselves as a group from nashville Mm -hmm. um it, it, it definitely, uh, you know, we were being identified as such, but the way we found to get our music out to people was through the indie punk scene. Yeah. And because um, we really weren't, uh, we didn't fit into whatever was going on in Nashville and still don't really. Um, 
and because of that, we sort of found our own way. It's super interesting, the idea, though, that you're playing in that setting, which is, and you've talked about this in interviews, but that setting, which is traditionally, you know, a loud guitar band or whatever, up on stage playing loud music, mm-hmm. and to come in and to play this very nuanced, right. quiet, super arranged yeah. stuff is not an obvious thing, and it must have taken people by surprise at first. Yeah, I mean, it evolved, uh, I think, as we continued on, the quietness became more pronounced. Um, it was certainly always part of what we did, but as we continued on, it definitely became more of um, a focus of what people came to expect when they come to see us. Um, and just, it was a collective of people. So it was, uh, I was sort of like the, uh, I, I don't know. I was the songwriter and the singer, and by default, eventually, I became the sort of the voice or the the representative of the group. And then, as time went on, you know, the collective would change. Um, people would come and go, and continue to do so. Yeah. So that makes me wonder how how are these songs arranged? You you bring a, a finished song in, but the I would say the the overall concept for me is restraint when i think of lamb chop for most of it there's yeah. definitely other parts yeah. that, but this really really focused restraint which i know as a musician and a songwriter is really hard to mm-hmm. do really hard especially when you get a bunch yeah. of great players in a room which you have yeah. Yeah. so how did that work yeah. out how did that restraint come to be well, manifest i think ultimately it it a lot of it had to do with um the the sensitivity of each of the musicians to uh, the music that was being presented to them and realizing that they would have to sort of find a way to contribute to it without overwhelming it. Um, and that just was, I think, pretty much due to their sensitivity as a group of people initially because at some points there would be, you know, 12 plus people in my basement all trying to play music together. And, um, it wasn't quiet. It was really hard to, to project what the song was. And um, they picked up on that right away. And that's always been sort of part of, of how I think people either take to that notion or not um, as a musician. Um, and I, I've been, Right. If they're going to be involved in that project, then it's something they're going to know that's going to yeah. have to be done. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to, to have these people um, in my life. Yeah. It's really incredible. I've been going back through the catalog lately, and oh, there's wow. just Thank such you. incredible moments of... Um, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's your lyrics, and then there's these, this musicianship that makes really unobvious moves. Like, there'll be a song that happens with parts, with a verse and a chorus, maybe a bridge, and then an outro might last three minutes or four minutes, and it's this beautiful sure. yeah. space you know exploration that happens it's it's brilliant it's it's very cinematic well i mean we had a lot of freedom yeah we had a lot of freedom to do what we wanted to do um from the beginning uh, mainly because um we were basically an independent um entity um even though we were associated with record labels early on they were indie labels and they were completely content to allow us to just do whatever we felt like doing and because I guess for the first 10, maybe even 15 years of existence, nobody really um, was making a living doing this. 
um, music. It was just something we wanted to do and make another record. And everybody was sort of independent, made living outside of the music. So that, again, gives you a lot of freedom to um, do what you want as opposed to make some decisions based on, um, I don't know, some financial concerns, um, which is kind of a rare thing. I think in indie music at that period of time, there was a lot of that attitude going on where people were just playing music because they wanted to and, um, and they found a place to do it and people to listen to it. Won't somebody help me because I've been Was it pretty quick for you like to say, well, we're going to play at this club. We're not going to play at the country music club. We're going to play at the punk club or whatever. <laughs> we the wanted to club. play everywhere. <laughs> okay. Did you ever play at full-on honky-tonk? Our goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, our goal was to try to play every venue in Nashville. Okay. And we almost accomplished that, um, except for maybe a couple of them, uh, over the course of time. But initially, we were... Um, very interested in trying to present our music in any kind of setting that um, was available to us in Nashville, and even creating our own um, situations or places or stuff like that. It was just our way of trying to <laughs> legitimize what we were doing um, just by virtue of showing up at an established club or something, even though we were not either a known or established band, um, mostly at the invitation of other um, artists that would come through town and wanted us to open up for them. Got it. What made things work for us was not being a part of Nashville and actually realizing that there's a world of, of music outside of Nashville, whether it's Europe or wherever in the world, mm -hmm. and, um, and finding that we were being accepted there and invited to go to these places. Yeah. Um, again, freed us up from any notion of um, trying to make a, um, a career of it. <laughs> it's just, um, it sort of happened by, um, well, kind of by default almost. You know. I think you, the Europeans really embraced you. I, I have friends yeah. who are Swiss and German who really love Lamb sure. Chop. And those countries, people speak English really well. Um, I think that yeah. Part of the appeal of that, a huge part of the appeal is the lyrics. And yeah. my question yeah. about the lyrics is that the poetry in your lyrics is is always one step removed from here's what I'm talking about. <laughs> if that's one <laughs> yeah. way I can say it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah you, need a se you need a second or two. And sometimes you never know what it's about. And it doesn't really matter. It's like... That's true. It can be about what yeah. the person... Yeah. And I, I assume some... All the songs are about something yeah. for you, <laughs> or not, but oh, I think yeah. they are. They're very impressionistic or not. Yeah. Some of them are very direct. They seem like a conversation that somebody's hearing yeah. half of or something. Yeah. There, you know, there's this photographer, um, um, William Eggleston, have you heard of him? Yeah. He's a Southern photographer, pretty well known. Um, one of the things that I, I, I picked up on that he was saying was that, in general, what he's trying to do with his work is he's always at at war with the obvious yeah. and um 
meaning that it, well, it could mean a lot to different people, but I, I sort of took it as a way of trying to express something, but not having it be um, so um, um, legible or that um, it, it it doesn't require any thinking on on the listener or the reader's part right. in order to. Um, um, well, it, it, it's more engaging than that. Yeah, and I, I find that idea to be really attractive when in art making is that you <laughs> you can be very descriptive of situations without not necessarily giving the whole um, thing away. Sure. Um, and and it's more enjoyable because of that. And maybe you figure it out. Maybe you don't. Maybe sure. I figure it out. Maybe I don't. You know, there are times when it takes years before I realize what the hell I was talking about. Um, and then, but it does feel right. Was your painting informed by that concept? Yeah, um, in a different way. It was based on perception. Um, and I, mine was a sort of simple idea of, I was I was basically using black and white photography as uh, as my source. But thinking of it as an object in itself, as opposed to um, a two-dimensional image without any physicality to it, and um, that was what sort of drew me in. It was the idea of what happens when you look at something and then go through your brain and then you try to um, spit it back out. Mm. But there's what this notion of perception and what it is your mind mm. does with that. And how you then represent that idea? Sort of the idea that the that the the piece of art that you first look at is sort of the starting point, and then the next thing is what you know what is this made of, and what could you do with it? Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually trained as a sculptor, mm. but at late in 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 my uh, graduate work, I just shifted over to painting, uh, and I wasn't quite sure why, but it felt like the right move because my sculptural work was always sort of two dimensional anyway, and. Um, the notion of um, of perception came to me out of that. Uh, I was drawn to the idea of uh, of still lives um, and the way they used to um, do paint still lives early on was they created on on a, a grid of string and would hang it in a frame hmm. and place that in front of the object, and then you were able to reproduce square by square digitally. If you think about it, yeah, um, pixels, the, yeah. the information, yeah, right. the information, and so I would create these installations that had the frame and the object and the drawing and uh, mm. all within one space, and there was sort of large scale, but that idea, uh, it had a, it was probing into the idea of what perception is. So I'm still really interested in that, um, even in writing today and a lot of the writing that i have been doing for years as far as songwriting was the notion of, of, of incorporating the time and space that you're in as well as whatever it is you're trying to hmm. speak to or, or talk about and because of that it does look a little fractured and weird and hard to understand but to me it's legitimate because it is of the moment that you're creating um and because of that, it sounds really weird sometimes, or fractured, or or whatever. But allowing um, the sound of the dog barking coming into whatever you're talking about is 
completely legitimate to me and it makes sense because it's not something I conjured up out of fiction. It's from based on the, re, the experience and the reality of, the, of that. So it makes my shit weird. Yeah. I've seen pretty things before. You know, I've been nothing new. You're not alone. You're not alone. You said I totally get that. But also, when you when you train your brain to be so good at uh, going one step beside the obvious all the time when you're communicating through art, mm-hmm. does that ever happen? Like right now when I'm talking to you, I understand exactly what you're saying. You're, you're a perfectly clear communicator. But do you ever find yourself sure. wishing you could communicate more that way in real life. I, I've been blamed for that sometimes where I know what I'm saying because I really would rather this be a song or a poem. Do you, does that make any sense? Uh, <laughs> it kind of does. Um, I, I kind of wonder if I do that sometimes. I, I'm, I'm sure um, I try and it probably goes completely unnoticed or people are just confused about what I'm trying to say or something <laughs> like that. But um, I'm sure that's that i'm sure i do that sometimes um, it's almost like code switching like you're you can <laughs> think in poetry and it and you're trying yeah. very hard not to be obvious or just trying to avoid right that. but when you're talking to well, human beings you have to be clear <laughs> it's an interesting i mean thought. a lot of it is a reaction it's it's a reaction to the place and the type of music that i'm surrounded by in nashville and certainly was surrounded by in, at the period of time that I started doing all of this was that I was um, I was really annoyed that all the songwriting was so obvious and linear and 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 just kind of dull you predictable. could almost predict what the next yeah predictable you could predict yeah. the next line they were going to say and maybe that's what makes pop music pop music sure and why I'm not very good at it but um that's and why it's so boring something that for the most part yeah and (laughs) but i would find artists that i respected and admired or inspired by and they wouldn't do that and that's the kind of stuff that i was drawn to and thought was good music but then you also throw curveballs all the time like there's this one song give me your love which i love it's kind of a disco soul love song yeah Yeah, it's a cover, a Curtis Mayfield cover. It was, um, I think it was on in, on Super in Superfly, maybe ah. part of it. But he he released it, and what that was was a, to the best of our abilities, attempt at recreating that sound in full on a budget. Yeah, I mean, this was nobody was doing that at the time in the late '90s in indie music. Uh, was that kind of production, and we just discovered how to do it. 
and then went ahead and did it full on uh, on this insanely small budget and it no at, at that time it was not something that was even thought of, of trying in most indie music i mean they were certainly not there yet but because we were in nashville and all the facilities infrastructure players everything was here and everyone was willing to do it just for fun um we were able to sort of a, kind of achieve a, a level of production that um opened up a lot of doors as far as future work sometimes it's like sleepy disco or like but it's powerful i'm sure if you're in the room while it's happening you know it, people are playing their hearts out yeah, not yeah. quiet music but there's something still restrained about yeah. it but it was really really cool Lately, on some of your later stuff, I'm hearing now um, vocoders and lots of electronics. And you made an electronica album, I guess. Hecta, is that recent? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was all a part of just keep looking for other ways in, uh, of making music um, and uh, and embracing the current technology. And, and of course, um, starting to work and collaborate with people of that realm as well. And... Uh, but initially, it, it, it comes out of um, uh, the experience that, that I'm into or surrounded by, the music that is part of my daily life. Can you feel it? Yeah. Initially, that whole um, voice processing just came from listening to uh, my neighbor's uh, hip-hop stuff that would be blasting, you know, next door. And it was really good music. And I yeah. was going, wow, I love I love how that voice becomes so emotive. And once I started fooling around with it, I went, wow, this is a whole interesting thing. I didn't realize it was so polarizing, um, which I guess it became. Um to me, it was just another, you know, uh, auto tune or vocoder, like auto tune. Are you talking about <laughs> all that stuff? Sure, auto tune became a huge, me. like, yeah, a, a huge controversial. And it still thing. is. It's like I don't understand it really. Well, there might be some racial stuff mixed in there too. I, I mean, I don't know, but I was going <laughs> to ask you about God that. God forbid, but yeah, <laughs> they could be. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that. I think a lot of times. It shows how little actually people listen to the music that you make, because yeah. um, there will even be songs where there is no processing at all on it. It's completely dry, and yeah. they'll say, "Oh, that vocoder thing he does ruined it," or whatever. And I'm like, what? "It's not even on it," you know. So it it really does once. It's like um, once you put a, a label on it, it kind of sticks uh, in a weird way, the same way that people still call us a country band. Yeah. You know, it, it's like if you listen to the music, the reason we even called ourselves a country band to begin with was to see who was actually listening to the music because what we were making initially was much more akin to punk rock or, or uh, indie rock or something like that. It had no, it might have had a little uh, lap steel guitar in it or something. But, you know, it, other than that, there was absolutely nothing about it that could be considered. Yeah, but you know what, Kurt? And think about the music that's on pop, uh, that's on country radio now. What does that have to do with country? Like all the top oh, I pop agree. country I, stuff. No, I agree. <laughs> it's a really amorphous. But my, my point. Yeah. <laughs> right. My point was that we had a, you know, that 
the, we never put out a record. The record people say, well, you gotta, you gotta put out a one sheet. And, and, and so we wrote this one sheet, you know, proclaiming us a country band just to see if anyone was actually listening to the record. If they did, they would realize that it's not and that that was false, you sure. know, but, and, and it was just a way so we could see if anyone actually listens to the records before they review it. And because of that, it, it has stuck around, you know, in one way or another. And a lot of it is, um, I, I, it's just like I said, you just get kind of, you know, sort it's of just pigeonholed. And, and yeah. It's labels, and then you, it's so hard to shake. And uh, yeah. even though I think what we do is sort of this ongoing sound that continues to evolve and has bits of the past with elements of new, new information. And that is a, a through line through everything we've made you know um but that doesn't seem to f it it's not a, a, it, it's a it's something that's amorphous it's not <laughs> it's not fixed in time like you know willie nelson is a country artist you know uh even though now he's an outlaw country artist so there is a qualifier to it you know <laughs> And he will always be. I don't know, I don't know If I can keep from winning this show What's our plan, baby, what's our plan? Oh, you know they won't understand Cause my head is a dripping wet And my clothes are soaking wet not a bad association to be on though i mean it's the highest i oh, think it's of one course. of the highest selling. i love country music i love it i use it as um uh, uh, even early on we were taking what they were doing in country music and using those tools and facilities to create our own music and there yeah. was the connection there was by yeah. using those those tools um and even you know we i've checked out the structure and i thought whoa this is the thing and and there is oddball country music even back then um sure it's yeah. just as time has gone on even that and there's nothing odd about <laughs> most things of the past anymore you know it's just uh right um there, it's just be absorbed in, into our giant cultural uh, uh knowledge you know? sure well, so I'm going to take a little turn here and say, so you started off, mm -hmm. you met your wife at the record store, and she yeah. is now a, or she has been, I don't know if she still is, the tennis, the chair of the Tennessee Democratic Party, so clearly involved in politics. Correct. Yeah. Is she right. still that? So or, she, yeah. no, um, this is, um, she's been out of it for two years now as mm -hmm. the chair, but she was the chair for six years. Uh -huh. Um Six tumultuous and, years, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, very. Uh, and it took its toll on her oh, yeah. um, psyche. Um, so she has taken a break. She's sort of easing back into it a little bit at the moment, but she's really trying to um, go about it in a, in a, a less... Um, um, just more um, sort of as a consulting sort of situation as opposed to being the actual... Actor in politics. Um, okay, but prior to that, she had had run for state senate, um, and so she went from 
um, doing the um, the work work at a at her record shop, and then she slowly started getting into more activism. So she started a radio program in um, that was on the college radio uh, station here, and it was a, a liberal talk show mm-hmm. on the radio, and it was, it was pretty damn popular. Um, and it wasn't since it was at a college station, it wasn't. Um, reliant on ads or Mm -hmm. any kind of money or funding like that and that existed for as long as that station did exist and then from that that activism led to her idea of running for state senate um with the idea that it wasn't so much about her winning or losing it was more about sort of establishing her um her presence in in our political um uh, sphere here And and it, fortunately she she lost, but it was kind of part of the plan in order for her. So then she was an established uh, person in local politics here and state politics. Um, she seriously ran for it and traveled the state and all that stuff. Um, but from that, she then she became the chair of the state party. Right. Um, so it established her and her ideas and her reputation. And then she took that and then led the party for the uh, six years. Wow. Did you ever have any intention in your lyrics or in your output to have to make political statements? And what do you think the role of politics in music could be for you or for anyone else? For that matter? Well, I think it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and and um, I think there are some people that are more disposed to doing connecting those two things yeah. and putting them together than others um i will say as far as what i do i i sort of find ways again to sort of sneak stuff or sort of social ideas into the um the the work that i do and i have strong feelings about it um you know about social reform and justice and stuff like that um, I just don't use music as a as an overt platform. Mm-hmm. It, it to me it, it sort of cheapens it if you are insincere. I don't want to use it as a promotional tool. I don't want to jump um, into politics a, as a musician using it as a way to build followers or your 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 uh, you know. It, 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 it's not. I believe it too strongly in in that to. Um, sort of cheapen it or or make it a uh, just a another promotional tool right. you know you, you see that a lot um you know when i was growing up politics was um and music were sort of tied together in a special kind of way it was i grew yeah. up in the 60s and yeah. in the 70s and mm-hmm. that was this sort of um sort of an awakening of 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 people's um activism and feelings about politics um and music was a great way to bring people together with the common a common goal or knowledge or support of an artist because they represented the counterculture or whatever um and then it went from there to this like wow this is a great pr device Hmm. And, and now it's just sort of like uh at the it, it it doesn't resonate to me as being as pure anymore. It just seems to me to be a sort of prerequisite that you have to have in order to um, 
uh, I don't know, gain more uh, recognition or become more popular or less popular, depending on your Yeah, politics. I would say less. <laughs> <laughs> Musicians and artists are all traditionally like more left-leaning, yet they create a product that is consumed by everyone. across all political spectrums right everyone listens to music very few people don't i'm wondering if there's an example of something on the other side like is there a a thing that's only made by hardcore right-wingers that we all consume (laughs) well i mean you know if you really think about it there have been these examples of pretty horrible people like uh Oh, you know, Walt Disney, Kid Rock, Ted Nugent, <laughs> uh, Walt Disney, Ford, uh, you know, what Kid about Rock, John Ted Ford? Nugent, Ford. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 you know, uh, it just yeah. came to me after I asked you that question. I'm like, oh, yeah, there you go. We all watch Disney. That guy was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just heard about this Sun Ra Disney covers record. And I'm like, wow. Sun Ra? put that together yeah there's a, apparently a record that he made of, of all disney covers oh my god i gotta uh, hear that that sounds good yeah it's I just know, well i know i just heard about it yesterday i'm yeah. kind of diverging from what i understand what you're saying it's like if it's not if it's not genuine it's just it's sort of a pr move what's the point i totally get that it doesn't fit it with what you are i think there's ways of being an artist where you just act instead of you know you're em- you can be empathizing with things you can act you can contribute you can do things directly as opposed to espouse uh, uh, to do stuff. And, you know, when people are fighting to get a slot on a Obama fundraiser, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. because they know that will be, look great, and, you yeah. know, that and grow their fan base. I mean, all of that kind of stuff really is kind of annoying. And the other thing I see is like on social media where people are telling the activist musicians that are very outspoken, say on Twitter or whatever, and they're telling them, why don't you shut up and just play music? Right. You know, that kind of thing. I, I, I don't quite think we've experienced in the, you know, up until the last, you know, five, 10 years, you know, uh, up, up to that point, it, there seemed to be some sort of. But the introduction of social media and this kind of way of communicating or promoting yourself or all that stuff has changed the the role of people in music and and um, and in politics and and in activism and in social doing good social work. You know, um, I was in a band that used to have people telling me to shut up and play music because I was making overt political statements, and I used to love it when they did that. I loved it. Uh, early on, I would do that from the <laughs> yeah. mic. I mean, really yeah. early on. I don't do it I anymore. I was very but, inspired yeah. by like uh, Billy Bragg and right. stuff, how he would take a minute or two and, and um, you know, just remind people about a particular issue or something. Or, or 10 or 15 <laughs> in his case. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I would, I would do that. But early on, it, I felt that I was more emulating something as feeling it. Yeah. And it took me a long time to sort of realize... Um, that there's a way to just sort of walk the walk instead of talk the talk. And I'm, I, I, I feel good about that. One of the things that sort of um, I discovered, back to my wife being in politics and stuff, during that period of time was really the period of time where a lot of stuff was happening and a lot of people were speaking out in social media, etc. And I realized that 
I was I should not even though I was tempted to early on particularly when things were just insane um, to say something about these things but I realized that my role as a spouse mm. it was not going to help her for me to shoot my mouth off yep. about stuff mm-hmm. um, even though I could have been right could have been the right thing to say or whatever it was not going to um, help her out and my role as the spouse of a politician was to be supportive mm-hmm. uh, in every way that I can and I, I chose to, one of the ways to be supportive was to shut the fuck up not talk too much not talk too much yeah there it is Well, now that she's not a politician, maybe you could shoot your mouth off about. Um, <laughs> well, you know, she's in, still in, in the, it. Like in the interim, well, well, she there's always no, that possibility. You know, I'm joking. I don't, you know, I, 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 I thought about that. You know, I was like, oh, good, so I can like just kind of spout off, and and then I went, but that's not. Uh, again, I'm almost. I've become pretty much out of social media completely. Sure. I, I, I find that. Um, I'm just one of those artists now that have just decided to shut the fucking thing off. Yeah. Even though I do look at it, I will not participate. Um, so I'm more of a voyeur or a lurker or whatever they call yeah. it now. Um, as opposed to someone that chooses to... Um, yeah. I don't know. I just don't like to fight with people. I don't I, want I to um, stir up those kind of things. Uh, I simply want people to know that I have music out there in the world and if they want to listen to it, you're welcome to it. If they don't, that's cool too. Um, I'm just not a great self promoter, and that's why I'm where I am today. <laughs> Talking to you, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. What, what I do want to ask you though is, like, you're in Tennessee, you're in the South, you're obviously yes. a Democrat. You're in the world of the Democrats. It's you know the South, especially Tennessee, has not gone for the Democrats for a while. It certainly went hard for Trump, I think, and. It, um, and it's, the working um, class, the yeah. idea that the working class is being co-opted by the right is really, uh, yeah. really sticks in my craw. And I'm curious about what your thoughts are about that. Well, we're living in a, in a state with a supermajority in our legislature. So then the notion that anything uh, progressive or compassionate or anything is going to, to, to serve the actual people of Tennessee is, is far away from it happening um and we're simply just trying to sort of hold hold what little ground is there and try to uh, slow down the the horror uh, uh, of legislation that's being enacted continually um yeah. it's just sort of like you're you're dug in like and um it's um it, it's very difficult because um as this transition happened, there was a lot of finger pointing, inner party finger pointing, and in, in trying to f- point blame on people for doing it, and that so and so can do it better, uh, or whatever. When the reality is, nobody can really do that, but there are things you can do, and you just have to try to find, pick your spots, and try to get something uh, happening, or at least um, it, it, it is it. it it's very difficult. I don't see a, a rosy future uh, for uh, particularly Tennessee, but I, I do find that it's still a fight worth having or, or 
for to fold up your tent and leave is not acceptable if you care at all about uh, the people around you and um i really do think it, it boils down to um you know your your compassion for your f fellow person i mean often i was thinking about it before you called and i was like man you know what is the what is it about wh why do people get into politics what is their motivation right um, is it to make lives, you know, better for their their fellow people? Um, is that what it is? Is it about your empathy and your compassion for your fellow man that you want to see things, make things better? Um, and um, that seems to be the root of that. Or, or, or you know, um, and then I was thinking, well, what is it about, you know, songwriters and, and musicians? Mm -hmm. What are they... Um, uh, what are they in it for? If, if not the money, what are they trying to do? They're trying to communicate ideas and share, um, you know, you know, things with other people and hopefully, um, you know, maybe affect their lives in some po positive way. So, you know, there are Absolutely. kind of, I, I, kind of these root m motivations in both situations. It's things just sort of go astray. Um, <clears throat> once you get past that and you start to implement how do you become a politician or how do you become a um a musician and and how do you you know you know go progress through that and become you know more and more influential that's uh, interesting there's, so there's there are parallels sort of no that's i've never thought of that. that's yeah, interesting there yeah. are definitely parallels at this point i i do know or have been around politicians quite a bit and um, there are different levels of, uh, of uh, I don't know, commitment in these people and, and, and what their commitment is about. Um, some people are purely, you know, trying to make lives better for mm -hmm. other people. There are other people that are more interested in power. Mm -hmm. And this happens in music as well, mm -hmm. you know, where it's really, it's not so much about the music at some point. It becomes about being the the boss. most successful yeah. you can be yeah yes you're the boss or, yeah. or or whatever you know and um that that kind of does it, it it influences the the policy that either one of these kind of people would make right mm. uh it, yeah it, 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 it's interesting um and the the effect of money um I mean, there's so many things that are kind of chipping away at everything in, in politics, but the money aspect is now to the point where it really does sort of run the show. Yeah. And and um, and it it's become even worse since um, whatever was a Citizens United or whatever. Yeah. And uh, the same thing in a way with music, as music at the moment is is really. Uh, at a sort of crossroads um, as far as, you know, dealing with, uh, say, Live Nation or, sure. or these monopolies and these things and and Spotify and all of these things where suddenly there is no way to really make a living in music unless you have either already made it or, or and are able to exploit everything to the max it's really become um it's an interesting time for music i do believe there will always be independent music mm -hmm. out there whether or not um 
one can survive from it is pretty doubtful. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's probably been true all along. Um, and there will be people that find a way to just work a job and yeah. play music, and that's going to be great. And then there'll be this whole other level of stuff that'll cost you 500 bucks to go see. Yeah. And uh, eventually. You right. Know. Exactly. <laughs> and it's a totally different thing. And there won't thing. be any kind of, there'll be no real middle ground, right. sort of middle class. Right. It's and like that's the what's class. eroded. Yeah. It's gone in. It's growing in our society, and it's happening in the world of, of, of contemporary music. As yeah. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Goes the cat on the carpet. She stepped in the blue water bowl. Twitch, twitch, twitch. Goes my eyelid, my tongue in the cat. ask you about Vic Chestnut because you played with Vic Chestnut obviously mm-hmm. you I know he was a big part of your yeah. musical yeah. world and um, I wanted to know how you got involved yeah. with him I, I also had a connection with Vic Chestnut but not not the same as yours but oh really oh I'd like to hear it okay well I was fortunate enough to play three shows with him in New York through my good friend Todd Griffin who you may know he uh, uh, Dennis Cronin who played trumpet who I think played with you on a bunch of stuff yes was involved yes. with yes. this guy Todd Griffin who somehow got connected with Vic Chestnut I want to say maybe it was through the filmmaker Jem Cohen or something anyway I yeah, ended up could be Jem. you know Jem yeah. yeah so I actually Jem I yeah, just yeah. he said to give his regards to you <laughs> awesome I hope he's doing pretty good yeah and good. so I had the Good luck to play three shows with Vic Chestnut. And we rehearsed in our friend's basement. It was in New York. He was releasing a bunch of albums. They were re-releasing on a different label, stuff he had never put out. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to do a bunch of shows. And I got to be in the band. I got to play guitar and trumpet and I forget what else, some stuff. It was amazing. Wait, so you guys were backing him up? Yeah, we were backing him up. I think it was before Lamb Um, Chop. When did Lamb Chop start playing? When did you start playing with Vic Chestnut? It was like mid-90s. Yeah. I mean, we did uh, that record, Salesman and Bernadette. Yeah. But that was probably 80, I mean, 98 or something like that, or 99. Um, late 90s was probably when we actually made that record with him. But prior to that, I mean, I, I'd known Vic since his very first record um, and became friends with him. And we were, you know, he was a big part of my... Um, um, early um, days in music, um, he was very supportive and sort of um, almost like a, a mentor in a yeah. way uh, for, for a lot of my early work. Um, and um, we would he'd come up and he would interact with the band over the you know the course of time, and then we finally made this this record together. Yeah. But what um, what was the group that you were? In it was time? put together for these three shows in New York for this 
reissue. He was doing a reissue, of, or, or not a reissue. He had a new label putting out some stuff that he had never put out. It was like oddities or some rarities. Right. And so we were mm-hmm. only playing these songs, and I had already been a fan of him, and I, I, I knew a bunch yeah. of his stuff. So we, were, but we were only putting out this. Yeah. We were only playing live this record of rarities. So it wasn't songs that people knew, mm-hmm. but so we learned them. We sat wow. in a basement. We learned mm-hmm. them. It was completely yeah. So exciting for me because I was such a fan and to see how he worked. Mm-hmm. Then we got on stage and um, we played three shows and I think the last show was at Joe's Pub or something. And he he handed uh-huh. us these handwritten pieces of paper with his shaky writing with chords on them. And he's like, "Here's a new thing I right. just wrote. We're gonna play it tonight." We're like, "Okay." Right. And it was like A minor F. Right. G or something we're like cool okay and he gets on stage he's like all right guys let's do that song i I gave you we start playing it he's like this tempo and as we're playing it it was the song supernatural which we had asked him about because it was like my favorite song of his and we had asked him he's like we're not going to do that and so as a kind of as a surprise and a present to us he started playing it on stage with us and i have chills talking about it because it was like such an amazing moment he snuck it up on us it was so cool so cool and all of a sudden we're playing it on stage it was incredible so yeah yeah Vic was, beautiful uh, guy man amazing guy he, yeah no he was he was so uh, he, 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 any experience that I had bar none was uh, uh, something to, to cherish um, and there was quite a bit of it um, he he had a way of um, I don't know we, we we had a way between us of connecting with each other um and he really appreciated the the thing that we were trying to do as a as a group and um so much so that you know he wanted to ha- try to represent that in in a, in a record it worked so um, perfectly for that which record and it changed our lives and it changed his life to some extent because through that record he was able to tour with a a band in Europe, um, and that was also um, so. I'd come up with this crazy idea of uh, 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 Vic and us and Calixico all doing like a package tour, oh, like they did cool. in the fifties or something. Yeah, and um, for some reason the labels went for it, and we did this crazy tour. And by the end of it, it had sort of changed everyone's um, musical. Uh, trajectories. Uh, Calixico mm. went on to become what they are. Mm. Vic established himself in Europe um, in a way that he wasn't able to mm. before, uh, and it changed our perception, the way people perceived us in Europe as well. Um, so that was just one um, thing that uh, our, um, you know, just having known each other brought about. I mean, there was a lot. 
Um, it's really great that you had the experience of, of working and playing with them because it's pretty magical. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. It can be frustrating and oddly awkward mm -hmm. and but it, it's never without it's all been considered he's rarely doing things um uh that haven't been considered by him right he may not let you in right. on that or whatever but right. that's part of the response that he wants he wants um interaction with people to be spontaneous mm -hmm. and natural and 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 felt mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to you know learning things and it just becomes rote and then you perform it. it for Vic it was very much and that's just the sort of um kind of an approach that he and some other musicians that he also knew um you know were um you know into and doing yeah um, that's really great but you know he was um he was a master yeah absolutely and i think that i mean i see a lot of similarities between what you do and and his approach yeah I'd love to know, so what are you doing? Are you playing music or are you taking a break? What's next for you, musically or artistically? <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. Um, it's um, a curious time. So um, we put out a record in September, The Bible. Um, oh, yeah, that just came out. And then played a couple of, yeah. And then we played just a few shows. Um, I've kind of got two different sort of ways of presenting music that lamb chop does now there's one which is like this sort of massive 16 piece kind of orchestra with a choir and horn section and a large band and all of that it's very expensive but i'm hoping that we can tr try to find a way into like playing some cultural institutions on occasion over the course of the, whenever and then other than that i'm also trying to like do the polar opposite which is like a like a duo presentation which just myself and a piano no effects no nothing when we get up there and we just play without stopping for an hour and that's another approach so i, I i'm sort of kind of trying to see if that's going to be a way forward or i'll just go back and make some make another record mm -hmm. i might write a book I, you there know you there's go. things that i you know, I can do to sort of stay, stay, you know, productive, I hope. It's challenging. Have you done any of those tiny desk concerts? Those are kind of cool. I did one a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. yeah which was great. Um, and that's fine. I'm, I'm just trying to find a way to, to, um, present what I do. That's somewhat unique. Um, in that, uh, there, it's very, it'd be very simple for me to just sit there with a guitar Mm -hmm. and and sing and that be it you know just tour as a solo artist which you'll see more and more people doing if you've not already yeah um I, in in my case i'm trying to offer something a little different sure. which is not that so yeah I'll be myself and a pianist and and we'll get you know we'll get out there and we'll we'll play music in a way that's presented a little different well i'm looking forward to seeing it it sounds like a good thing to me. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'm I mean, it, it. <laughs> the thing we did in New York was amazing, and uh, you can ask Bill. It was fucking yeah. cool. Um, that was good, and I I feel like that's something that can happen. I'm just not sure. 
I don't know how if that even again. I keep making things that don't quite fit into any quite <laughs> the usual thing, or or they're difficult. Or maybe you just run for office. You run for office in Tennessee. No, not well. You know, <laughs> as much I, I I think I know way too much about how the sausage is made yeah. when it comes to uh, running for office. Yeah, and I as much as I think I have the the right intent and heart and yeah. motivation and, and empathy for w- what d- could and should be done that uh, unfortunately is not enough right. to actually succeed you know people still are uh, remarkably are just rising up through whatever and decided that they want to participate in in making people's lives better yes usually at at a local level that's where it to me is the most exciting Absolutely. and most effective yeah. as, as far as what you can do to make an, a difference in someone's life. Sure. Even if it's just, you know, rectifying, you know, a, a, a stop sign that needs to be there or whatever, sure. uh, you know, it just need uh, those kind of things are, are meaningful. You've accomplished something. It crosses my mind from time to time. It's just, I also know that politics is so fraught with, all of these other it's combative it's sure. it's it, it, it you have to really have a very thick skin sure. in order to to survive yeah i mean you will last for a while but eventually it will break you sure um because and and and, and that i'm not at all anxious in, in, in getting into. Sure. I mean, it's it's had an effect on my wife to some extent because I think her heart was too big for politics and um, she her skin was not tough enough to, to, to take, uh, you know, years and years of, of, of um, you know... Abuse. Difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a tricky yeah. balance because you have to be compassionate to be a good politician and effective, but the ones who are, you do who make it maybe are just you do. tougher and you, and, and you have to do it sincerely. Yeah. You can't just say it, which they all are you realizing is a really great thing to say, but you actually have to be that person and and deliver. It doesn't suffer um, failure at all. Sure, um, in in politics, no. failure is is not tolerate sure <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> you know, that's um or, or ineffectiveness or whatever you want to call it well mistakes in in music and in art can be really beautiful and can be they're sort of a welcome part of it yeah <laughs> whereas it's absolutely it's you can yeah build on that yeah yeah which is probably um yeah i i i'm trying to think of of a political situation or person where a mistake uh, <laughs> uh, led to something positive. You could just say the entire <laughs> the entire world of our last president is that. <laughs> well, you could. I mean, that was a huge mistake. Yeah, exactly. And there it is. And there it's, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully okay. that mistake is finished. And, and now he's done the job of destroying the yeah. Republican Party. Let's hope that's that he keeps doing that as he's done wow. so well. Um, But Kurt, thank you so much for this. This has been great talking to you, and I look forward to hearing what comes next. And um, really great to talk to you. All right, man. Bye. See you.